Amen. Why don't you thank Russ and Lillian again? Thank you, girl. So good, isn't it? And what a good reminder. Hey, Lillian, before you all leave, let me say this. Just you're informing my prayers. Um, as you were asking for prayer for you all, first of all, I'm not sure you understand how profound what you just told us was, the value of vulnerability. But Jeremiah 20, chapter 20, verse 9, this is my prayer for you and for our students, where Jeremiah says, if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. So my prayer for you and for our students is that God's word would be like a fire in your bones and that you wouldn't be able to hold it in. Thank you for teaching us today. Yeah, let's thank her again one more time. Well, we are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And what Russ just shared with us and Lillian just shared with us is a really wonderful example of what we're going to see in this text where Jesus is going to give us a command. And that command is going to be that we not lay up treasure on earth, but that we lay up treasure in heaven. That we invest our lives for the sake of eternal things. And so let me say thank you as well for those of you who have given to our scholarship fund for our students. That is a wonderful example of an investment in eternal things. For those of you who are volunteers, leaders uh, in our student ministry and in our children's ministry, investing and raising up the next generation, thank you. That's a wonderful example of what this text calls us to. And uh, thanks for staying up till 3 a.m. If that was you, there's a disproportionate amount of work that God does in students' lives for some reason between midnight and 3 a.m., it feels like. So just know that. Well, I'll tell you another story. Uh, this is from John Cortness's and Gregory Balmer's book called True Riches, and the subtitle of the book is What Jesus Really Said About Money and Your Heart. Uh, and I saw this story this week. It got me thinking about our text today. And he tells the story of a, of a woman named Sheila who was raised uh, under the communist regime in China. Actually, she was raised right when she was young, it was right as the Communist Party was coming to power in China. And her family were believers. And of course, uh, with Mao's uh, cultural revolution, there was this massive upheaval and land and possessions were being taken from people who had them uh, under you know, the communist ideology. And so it was a really hard season for a number, a number of people. And so her parents' reaction to that, very understandable, was to be uh, very conservative in how they handled material things and very cautious and to save and to save and to save because that's how you were okay uh, often in that time. And so after sort of the cultural revolution had originally taken place, she and his family immigrated to the United States and she was raised on the West Coast. And long story short, she got a great education, went to a good school, worked really, really hard. Uh, ended up getting a job in the Chicago area. It was really paid well. And by the time she was in her late 20s, Sheila had saved up about $200,000. I mean, a little over maybe $200,000. I mean, at 28, I mean, how many of us had that, right? So, I mean, had, had really worked hard and saved and kind of followed her parents' admonition, which is you, you really need to be so cautious with your money. Well, as I said, she was a believer and she was going to church and she got invited by a friend to join her on a mission trip to Haiti. Now, if you're not familiar with Haiti, it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, at least materially speaking. And so Sheila, after kind of some nudging, said, yeah, okay, I'll go. And uh, she went and 
one of the things that they did there was interact with, connect with the ministry who specifically uh, cared for women by allowing them to work in the textile industry, enabling them to make things that then were produced and then sold so that they could make a living. Now that brought Sheila's mind back to something she had prayed when she was a young girl. You see, when the Cultural Revolution took place, she saw family friends who had previously had enough to support themselves but then had everything taken from them. As a result, they worked in these sweatshops, long hours, horrible conditions, all just to try and stay alive, to make a way for themselves. And she remembered praying when she was a very young girl. She said, Lord, she didn't have to do that. She was thankful for that. And she said, Lord, if you could use me to help others not have to ever go through that, would you use me for that? And she'd forgotten that prayer. And then she went to Haiti and she encountered these women and she worked with them and she was touched. Her life was never the same. She came back to the United States and she could not see anything the same way again. Have you had a moment like that? You saw something you could never unsee? And it changed everything for you? Well, that was this trip for Sheila. And as she came back, her parents said to her, well, I hope you got that out of your system. It wasn't out of her system. And so Sheila started giving regularly to this ministry. But after a few years, something happened, and the ministry encountered some difficulties that you know, are, are too, sort of, um, too many twists and turns to mention. But the ministry came to a place where they recognized, we're going to go out of, we're not going to be able to survive we have a need, and that need is just over $200,000 in order to stay in existence. And Sheila remembered her prayer. Lord, would you use me so that women in particular, but people wouldn't have to work in these kinds of conditions? That's exactly what this ministry did. So Sheila took and emptied every cent from her bank account and gave it to the ministry, and it survived. And women were kept out of conditions Horrible working conditions. You see, Sheila's life was never the same because the generosity of the gospel touched her, made an impact on her. And she determined to live and lay up treasure, not on earth, but in heaven. Now, it's a beautiful demonstration of what we're going to talk about today, the command Jesus is going to give us. But I want to tell you, I don't tell you that story primarily because the only way to lay up treasure in heaven is empty every cent out of your bank account. I don't even tell it to you because the primary way to lay up treasure in heaven is related solely to your money. Certainly money is touched on in this command, but it's not the only thing that is touched on. I tell you the story because I think you can feel the, the absolute challenge of what would have had to take place in Sheila's heart in order for her to begin to, to let these things, her grip on these things to be loosened so that she might learn what it is to obey this command. Can you feel that as you think through Sheila's story? Put yourself in her position. Think, what would I do? How would I handle it? See, God spoke a specific, she says, God spoke a specific instruction to me that this is what he would have me do in this moment, and she obeyed. And she obeyed in part because she understood the command that Jesus is going to give us today. Now, just before I read to you Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24, let me remind you of something that's really important. As we see all these commands of Jesus, we have entered into a portion of the Sermon on the Mount where what Jesus is doing is giving us commands about what we should do, things that he wants us to obey. But long before he gave us commands about what we should do, he told us who we needed to be and who, in fact, we are if we are in him. So any of these commands, if they produce in us a moralistic approach, which is to say, I will in my own strength without the power of Christ and not in relationship and love with him, 
I will obey these commands that's producing the wrong thing in us. Always remember as we go through the Sermon on the Mount and we're in this portion where we're looking at commands that we are to obey, that first Jesus has said, let me come and change who you are. Let me come and do this deep heart work. Now, because of what I have done on my cross and through my resurrection, now I want you to obey who I, what I tell you to do because of who I have changed you and made you. Yes and amen, church? Always remember that. Christ never calls us into moralistic obedience. He calls us into joyful obedience rooted in what he has already done for us, not so that we might win his approval with our performance. So remember that now as we come to Matthew chapter six, verse 19, and let's read it together. Forgive me, I was in Jeremiah as I was sharing with Lillian, but here we go. Matthew chapter six now, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now say that again. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, this is the Lord's word for us today. And here's how I might summarize what Jesus has just taught us. I would say it this way. Jesus is telling us in this passage that we are to use everything we have to become rich in his kingdom. We are to use everything that we have to become rich in God's kingdom. Now we're gonna talk about what that means. So here's a roadmap for you. I think first, in order to understand what Jesus is teaching us, we have to ask the question, well, what is treasure? We, we're told, don't lay up treasure on earth, lay it up in heaven. So that begs the question, well, what is treasure? Fair enough? So let's ask that question first. What is treasure? What does Jesus mean when he tells us to store up treasure in heaven? Secondly, how do we lay it up or store it up in heaven versus on earth? That might sound really theoretical. Might sound like this kind of really big pie in the sky sort of idea. Okay, that's nice. How do I do it? So how do we lay up treasure in heaven rather than on earth? And then lastly, Jesus is so merciful to us because it would be appropriate for him to just give us a command and tell us to obey it. Lay up treasure in heaven. And we should say yes, because he's our king. And that would be right. But Jesus because he knows us and because he's merciful and full of love, actually gives us four motivations in this passage to motivate us to do it. Let me show you why, is what he says. And so he gives us those. So we'll look at those last. What are the four motivations this passage gives us to do this, to obey this command? So that's, that's where we're headed. So let's ask that first question first. What is treasure? What does Jesus mean by it? Now in a minute, I'm gonna give you a really simple definition of it. But let me first tell you two ways that when you read about this passage or hear people talk about it, two ways that I think people limit that, the definition of what our treasure is that I think is not appropriate for this passage. It's, it's an incorrect limitation of the meaning of the text. So let me tell you those two. Number one is that we're prone to perhaps say first, treasure is money. 
That's the first place probably are that our mind runs. I even just told you a story about treasure being money with Sheila, right? And that's certainly in view. But one of the things I wanna make sure you don't do is that you don't limit when Jesus says store up treasure in heaven that you don't think only about money because that's too narrow. Our treasure is not just our money. Now, there's a couple of reasons why we might do that, right? Because first of all, two paragraphs ago or three paragraphs ago, Jesus just talked to us about our generosity and he talked about giving to the poor and to the needy and he said, make sure that you're doing that. And when you do it, don't do it so other people see it. Do it so that only the Lord sees it. So he's just talked to us about money and then at the end of this passage, he actually says to us, as an example, you cannot serve God in what? And money. Now, here's the thing, friends. Let's make sure we understand this too. The term there for money, it's a fine, inter- it's a fine um, translation, but the term is actually mammon, and it actually means material possessions. It's much broader than just money. It means anything you got in your hands that you can touch or hold on to. He's saying you can't serve material stuff and God at the same time. And we'll talk about why he's giving us that example. But that's the first thing I want you to see. Now, here's the problem. If we limit the scope of our interpretation of this to money and we only think about what we do with our money, that's our treasure. The the image of treasure even kind of conjures up the idea of money. If you think that way, you're gonna do a couple things. Number one, you're gonna not think about other things you need to be thinking about. Because here's how I would define treasure. Treasure is anything that you ascribe value to. Really simple, right? Treasure is anything that you ascribe value to. That means treasure is your reputation. That means treasure is the relationships in your life. That means treasure is, yes, material possessions and money. It means treasure is your job, your family. There's an endless list of things that you can ascribe value to. And when Jesus says, don't store up treasure on earth, store it up in heaven, He's gonna talk to us about utilizing everything that we ascribe value to. And if you only think money first, what you'll be prone to do is only think about your use of money and not how you use your relationships and not how you use your reputation and not why you pursue those things. And I don't want you to limit yourself to just money. Are you, does it make sense? The other thing that happens, because we're all prone to think this way, is when we think, when we think about it primarily as money, For whatever reason, what we do is we say, we look at somebody who has more material stuff than us and we say, well, they have more than me, therefore, I'm not as accountable about this. Like, this doesn't really apply to me because they have more than I do. We always think of ourselves as not the person who's rich in material wealth. Can I just tell you, the poorest of us, the one of us that has the least material wealth, still has way more than most of the world. By definition, we are rich. Now let me say this though, because some of you may have little. I don't want you also to feel like you can get out from underneath Jesus' commands here. It's for all of us, those who have much materially and those who have little, because someone with very little material wealth can be absolutely as concerned about it as someone who has much. Absolutely as fixated on it. Someone with very little can be fixated on getting it. Someone with much can be fixated on holding on to it. Either way, the command applies. So we don't want to get out from underneath it as if, well, I have little material wealth, therefore this does not apply to me. So that's the first way that we inappropriately limit the understanding of this text. And the second, the second is not just to make it uh, primarily about money, but I also hear people say that 
our treasure is whatever we value most. So they tend to talk about it in sort of a hierarchical way. Whatever is kind of your biggest idol, whatever is the thing that you're tempted to place the, ascribe the most value to, wherever you're most prone to get your identity from. Now, that's fine because you need to consider that. You need to consider what might be at the top of that list. But do you see that if you only consider what's at the top of the list, you will free yourself from needing to apply this principle into all the things that come underneath that. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to find ourselves and go, well, the thing I'm most tempted, the thing that I struggle most to sort of hold loosely and utilize for the sake of the kingdom, the thing I most struggle with is my reputation, let's say. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. You know, I'm not going to worry about my money. I'm not going to worry about my material possessions. And hear me, friends, what Jesus is saying is you must use everything you have, everything, to become rich in his kingdom. So that's the first question. What is treasure? Treasure is whatever we ascribe value to. Now, the second question is like that first question. How do we lay up treasure in heaven? What is Jesus telling us to do? Let's be really practical about this. Now, how do I lay it up? The text gives us a hint about what it means to lay up treasure in heaven when it starts with its definition of laying up treasure on earth and it says there that the things that if you lay up treasure on earth, it's very temporary because that's where moth and rust destroy. It's where thieves break in and steal. And what does he say about treasure in heaven? Moths and rust do not destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. So he's giving us a hint there of what it means to lay up treasure in heaven. Here's how I would define it for you. To lay up treasure in heaven means to, to take everything we have and use it to produce something of eternal good. To use everything we have to produce something that will last forever. In other words, as a follower of Christ, I can never utilize anything I have, any possession, any relationship, any piece of my reputation, my work, anything that is within my realm. I can't use any of it so that my primary objective is something that won't last forever. My primary objective in the use of every one of those things must be to produce something that will last forever. Does that make sense? Now, what lasts forever? It's an interesting question, right? To ponder and to think about. Here's what I want you to, here's what, I'm gonna give you a, again, I just want to be so simple with you because I don't want this to be overly complex or for you to, Sometimes we, we try and parse things out and make them so complicated that we just don't end up doing them. Yes, let's not do that, okay? So here's, here's the thing you can ask yourself. Is the way that I am leveraging my relationships, is the way that I am leveraging my money, is the way I'm leveraging my job, is it producing faith? The currency of God in his kingdom is faith, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Some of you know where I'm going. The last one is self-control. If you're unfamiliar with those terms, it's what we call the fruit of the Spirit that God talks about, gives us in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians. Now, 
is the way that I am utilizing my relationships, all these things, is it producing those things? Because those things last forever. Is it producing it in me? And is it producing it in others? That's the question I want you to ask. Now, here's the thing. Do you see the importance of this kind of an answer? The importance of this kind of an answer is that it doesn't say, I must gain no material wealth or seek not to have a good reputation or have no material possessions other than what is absolutely necessary for my survival or seek to, I, I shouldn't seek to excel at my job and get promoted to greater authority or that I shouldn't absolutely cherish my spouse and my children as if somehow those things are wrong. We're prone to want rules to follow. So I know that what happens is when I say lay up treasure, not on earth, but on heaven, in heaven, when we hear that, we sort of want some kind of rule. Well, when has a Christian crossed the line in how they, let's use money for an example, a Christian can never own this, but they can own this. Like what's, the, what's too much? When is it too much? When is it not okay? When have I not built up treasure in heaven but built up treasure on earth? Can I own nothing? Like must I always just like really minimize my material possessions? Here's what I wanna say to you. I refuse to give you a rule. And here's why. Because your job is that you must hold everything before God and let him tell you what to do. Every bit of it. And here's the really interesting thing. For some of you, he might say, yes, please own that thing. Now let's talk about how you're gonna use it. And for others of you, he might say, no, you may not own that thing. And it's not wrong for the person who owns it and it's not wrong for the person who says, I'm not gonna own it. See, we're prone to want this legalistic, rule-following way to do this, and it just doesn't exist. The only way to obey this command is to say, Lord, what do you want me to possess, and then am I producing something that will last forever with it? I cannot tell you, you must forego this thing. Now, look, listen, here's my presumption, is that there will be probably for all of us, undoubtedly for all of us, Things and times where we may bring something before the Lord and he will say, no, I want you to use your money differently. That is not the way I would have you store up treasure in heaven. And we will need to say yes and forego the possession of that material thing. Yes, absolutely that will happen, right? But we will also have to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do with this relationship? What do you want me to do? Am I pursuing a reputation uh, that is a good reputation for you or am I pursuing it for me? Am I pursuing it for something that has an eternal value and weight to it? And the best way I know to help you assess that is to ask the question, does it produce more faith? Does it produce more love? Does it produce more joy? And go on through the fruit of the Spirit and ask that question because that is the currency of his kingdom. Now, one final word here about laying up treasure in heaven. I wanna make sure that we don't kind of go in a certain direction with it. Sometimes when we talk about laying up treasure in heaven, we talk about becoming rich in the kingdom of God, we're prone to think about it as a future reality, as if all the reward, all the treasure that will be experienced is after our death and when he ushers in the new kingdom. But what I want you to understand is Jesus is not here saying that laying up treasure in heaven means that everything is deferred, all the value that you receive is deferred until then. Certainly, there will be immense value received when we pass from this life into his presence. But I want you to understand, 
that if you're investing your, the things that you possess, whatever those things may be, in such a way that it's producing more faith, more love, more joy, and so on and so forth, if you're doing that, are there benefits to that now? Yes, the kingdom of God has both come in the person of Jesus and is being brought into his world and it is also not yet to come in a way, not fully yet come, and it is coming. And so we look to both a future reward, but also, friends, understand that when Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay them up in heaven, he is not first and foremost talking to us about a timeline. He is talking about the nature of the rewards that we seek. Yes, the nature of those things. And so you can expect to reap eternal benefit now because the kingdom has come. And I wanna make sure that you think in that way. All right, so we've answered the first two questions, I hope sufficiently, right? We could dig and dig, but I hope that helps. What is treasure and how do we lay it up in heaven now in the mercy of Jesus? Let's look at the four ways that he motivates us in this passage to do this. And can I just tell you that what Jesus wants to do is just open up your chest and reach right into your heart and just say, I'm gonna change you. I'm gonna shape the way you think about these things. So here's what Jesus does. I'm gonna give you four, four ways that Jesus motivates us to lay up treasure in heaven. Here's the first one. He does it by showing us the fleeting nature of earthly treasure. That's the first thing he does. Shows us the fleeting nature of earthly treasure. Look at verse 19 and 20 again. We already touched on this. But again, look, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So do you see what he said? He said, look, all these treasures on earth, let me help loosen their grip on you by showing you that they all are temporary. They will not last. So he notes a couple things. Number one, earthly treasures, they wear out. Have you noticed that? They wear, that's what he means when he says moth and rust destroy. It's the nature of these things, earthly treasures, when you take something you value and use it to get a temporary gain or a gain here and now, it wears out every time. Uh, anybody got a COVID puppy at home? I've got a COVID puppy at home who is reminding me of this reality because the COVID puppy has put a hole in my couch, has chewed a hole in my carpet. I love the dog and I hate the dog. Both of these things can be true at once, right? I got an amen last sermon for that too, last uh, service. Yeah, so, you know, the COVID puppy is driving me bonkers because, but she is reminding me, like, these things, they wear out. That's what happens to them. They don't last. Best way I ever, I mean, I, I learned this so well uh, from a, f a family friend growing up. There's a, a family, a friend of ours, the Fogwell family, uh, and Dr. Fogwell was the, the dad in this family, and his daughter was a good friend of mine. We grew up in church together. And this family probably, other than my own parents, my own family, probably prayed over me and invested in my life more than anybody else. And, and uh, Ted, Dr. Fogwell, was, a, uh, was an OBGYN. He made a good living. And I remember learning this lesson from him he probably didn't even know he was teaching it to me. But he owned a nice car, not an incredibly fancy car, but he owned a nice car. And I remember going to his house one day and, and he had gotten like, uh, I don't know how it happened, but, but a, a big, like a dent in the side of the car and then a big scratch. 
And I remember presuming, well, he's got resources. He's got, he's, you know, got plenty of resources. And I said to him, as like a 16-year-old kid who really like was into how cool a car I could own, you know, sort of thing. And at that point, I think I owned a Pontiac Grand Am 87, sweet ride, <laughs> right? But I, I put this value in the kind of car that you drove, which is like really dumb. And I remember learning from Dr. Fogwell because I said, oh man, what a bummer. You gotta get that fixed. And he said, why? And so what do you mean, why? Your car's scratched, it's dented. And he said, what do I care? Cars wear out. And immediately, it's like a light went on. I remember thinking like, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to think about material possessions. Now, you're not wrong if you get your car fixed, if you get it dinged up, all right? That's fine. But do you see that he was living in this like blessed state of detachment? That's the way Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he's talking about this sermon, this text, he talks about living in this blessed state of detachment from material things. And one of the ways, one of the ways to do that is to recognize like they wear out. That's just what they do. Why would you spend your time and energy and money worrying about that? So the second thing that we see here is not just that they wear out. Not, that's not the only thing that makes them temporary. The pleasure they, gives, they give us wears out. Have you had that experience before? You buy the thing, you've been saving up for it, you've been like so, like I, I, got, I gotta have this thing, I really want this thing, and you diligently save, and then you buy it, and like three weeks later, you're bored with it. You're done with it, right? I mean, can I tell you, every year, when people line up to get the latest iPhone, this is what I think about. I think, you just got the latest one last year. And now you're waiting in a line for hours to get the new one, and can I let you know a secret? Adding that 12th camera is not really that big a benefit to you. Who cares? But that's how fleeting the pleasure is. We buy it, and we think, oh, yes, yes. Now, I'm, now I'm gonna film a future-length future film on my camera, on my phone now, right? And we just think, this is it. This is what I wanted. And four weeks later, it's like, lost its fascination for us. We've all experienced this, right? You got the new outfit, you got the new car, the new car smell goes away, you got the, whatever, whatever new thing you wanted, whatever new thing you pursued, you recognize it stopped bringing you pleasure pretty quickly, didn't it? We see this in my house all the time. My son loves matchbox cars and the tracks that go with them, right? He loves those. We have like 12 of them in the basement. I think we're doing a bad job parenting that we let him keep buying these things. Because invariably, we're like, okay, like you saved up some money. We can go to the store and we can get something. And invariably, he says, I want the Matchbox track. I'm like, but you got like seven of those. Why don't you do something different? He's like, no, the new one is the one that I'm gonna play with forever. And what happens? Two weeks later, that toy is sitting in the basement and I can't remember the last time he ran a car over the track, right? They don't just wear out. They're, the pleasure they give us wears out fades, goes away, it's temporary. And the last thing he says is not just that moth and rust destroy, he says, but thieves break in and steal. So what is he telling us there? Anything you have in this life can be taken from you. There is nothing that you have, your reputation can be taken from you by lies and falsehood. Relationships can be taken from you. Material possessions can be taken from you. There is nothing in this life that cannot, why not, while you have them, utilize them for something that will last forever. Utilize them for something that will last forever. You can't keep them anyway. 
That's what he's saying. He wants to loosen the grip that these things have on our heart by showing us how temporary and how fleeting they are. And of course, the quote from Jim Elliott, who's a pretty well-known missionary uh, you know, in church circles, that he said this comes to mind. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's a wise proverb. Now, the second way Jesus motivates us is by showing us what it will do to our hearts, what it will do to our hearts to lay up treasures on earth rather than in heaven and even vice versa. So look with me at verse 21, which we read twice and we'll read it now for a third time. He says, after talking about moth and rust and thieves, then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hear that, friends. Do you see what he's doing? Now, he's presuming something because there's a cyclical relationship between our heart, and by that he means our very desires, our deepest selves, the things we want and desire when he talks about our heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna go. But what he's presuming is, and this is the way we usually think about it, whatever we desire, that's where we spend our treasure. That's what we use our treasure for. But he's saying the opposite side of that cycle is that wherever you put your treasure, your heart's gonna go that direction. So it's a, it's a reinforcing cycle. Do you see that? Now, we tend to think about the side as like, well, I have these desires, and therefore I want these things, and therefore I invest my treasure in that way. But Jesus is focusing on the other half of that cycle because what he's teaching us is a way to begin to move our hearts in the direction they need to go. And isn't it so good that he's telling us that you don't have to wait until your desires change to begin to store up treasures in heaven. Begin to invest your treasure, the things you value now, in a way that is eternal, and as you do that, your desires will change. That's what he's saying. Do it now. Sometimes we have this idea in Christian circles that to do something that is obedience even though our desires don't want to do them, we don't want to do them, is somehow not right. If you're doing the thing that is right, you can trust that God will use it to change your heart. Your desires will go in the direction that your treasures go. And can I tell you, you will not be the exception to this rule, and neither will I. There is not a one of us that will ever escape the truth that Jesus just spoke. Whatever you put your treasure, your heart is gonna go there without exception. Do not believe that you can spend your time, your money, your resources, give your reputation, your job, all for things that are temporary and earthly and that your heart will love and treasure God and his kingdom. It will not. Your desires will follow your treasure. And the good news of that is you can begin to invest the things you treasure in the right way and trust that your heart will follow it. Yes? Isn't that so encouraging? I get so encouraged by it. It's so practical. Do this and watch your heart change. Watch your desires change. Begin to give towards things that you know God loves. Begin to give. Can I tell you, friends, let me just say this. I said money is not the primary, you know, even thing here, but certainly money is included in this. And can I just tell you, can I just tell you that if, if you don't create a regular habit 
of giving sacrificially and joyfully to the things of God, if you don't begin that practice, that discipline in your life, you will never become rich in his kingdom. You'll never become rich in faith, in love, in joy, in peace. You can't. It's impossible. Money will take hold of your heart because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna go. And if you want to be full, do you want a heart full of love? You want a heart full of joy? You want a heart full of faith and trust that trusts God no matter what is going on in your life? If you want those things, spend your treasure so that your heart follows it. It's gonna happen. So give sacrificially, give generously. You should first give to your local church and then you should give to gospel causes like New Hope Ministries and like missionaries that are on the field that are serving and bringing the gospel to bear. You should do that. That should be a regular discipline. If it's not, just change that today. Just go change that today. Such such an easy first step. Go do it. And as you do that, you will find that your heart will follow. Praise God for this motivation that he gives us. Now, the third way he motivates us is by showing us what it will do to our discernment and wisdom. What it will do to our discernment and wisdom. So look with me at verse 22 and 23. Now commentators kind of wrestle with these verses, but let me tell you what I think the best understanding of them is. Read them first. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now he's just transitioned from talking about the heart, like the center of our desires and our will, like kind of the center of our personhood, if you will. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I reversed it, sorry. And now after talking about the heart, now he starts to talk about the eye and he compares it to a lamp. Well, what does a lamp do? What a lamp does, if you walk into a room and it's dark, you have no concept of what's in front of you. You're gonna bump into things. You're not gonna see things clearly, correct? Right, in my case, I'm gonna step on some Legos. That's gonna happen. It's gonna hurt. You turn the lamp on, and now what happens? You can see. You can see things clearly. And when he says your eye is like a lamp, what he's saying is the eye is, is your ability to discern what is good and beautiful and true and right, And if your eye, if your discernment is not good, you won't see things clearly. You won't see life clearly. You won't see the world clearly. You won't see things the way you should see them. If your eye is bad, if your discernment is off. But if your discernment is good, you'll make good decisions. You'll be wise because you'll see things the way they are. Now follow the pathway that he's just given us. Wherever I put my treasure, that's where my heart's gonna go. Wherever my heart is, that's gonna create discernment and wisdom. So that's the connection that he's making there when he transitions to talking about our eye. Do you want to be wise? I just asked, what do you want your heart to be like? And I heard you say, I want my heart to be full of faith. I want it to be full of love. I want it to be full of joy. If you want that, spend your treasure for eternal things. Now, that being the case, if you do that, the other thing that will happen is that you will grow wise. If you invest your treasure in eternal things, in things that matter to God, that advance his purposes in the world, it's a guarantee that you will become wise. Isn't that good to know? You'll see things clearly. You'll look at circumstances and situations and you'll assess them correctly. You'll say, oh, 
I see what's going on here. And you will grow discerning and you will grow wise. Man, I want to be wise. I hope you do too. Can I say the reverse is true too though? If you don't invest your treasure in eternal things, if you lay up treasure on earth, you will become a fool. That's the the other side of that. It's not neutral. You either invest your treasure in a way that makes you wise or you invest your treasure in a way that makes you a fool. And there's no in between. So you can choose to grow foolish or you can choose to grow wise. And praise God that he's told us how to do that. Invest your treasure in such a way that you become wise. Now, the fourth thing that Jesus gives us as motivation to store up or lay up treasure in heaven is this. He does that, motivates us by making what we're really doing clear to us. By making what we're really doing clear. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In the same way that I said you can't avoid the principle that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna go, you also cannot avoid this truth. None of us can. It is impossible for you to serve material possessions, to serve the things you value, and to try and get a temporary gain from them. It's impossible for you to serve them and to serve God at the same time. You can use them to serve God or you can serve them. Every one of us, here's what Jesus is making clear to us. He's saying you are serving someone, every one of us, whether you think you're not or you, or you know you are. You just get to choose who to serve. You either serve God or you serve the possessions. Now, that means that what you're doing, let's, make, let's be really clear about this. It's not a piddly little thing to lay up treasure on earth. You are committing idolatry. You are serving a master that is cruel and for whom your service will never be enough. If you serve possessions, mammon here, right? Money, possessions. If you serve the things you value to get a temporary gain from them, it will never be enough. It will be the disease of more over and over. Someone will have more, you'll want what they have. You will invest your time and energy and and skill set to get more of those things and they will not satisfy. And you will eat at you and eat at you and eat at you and you will have to keep serving them because the pleasure will be fleeting and it will demand more of you. It is a cruel master. Possessions, material things are a cruel master. Or... You can serve God with those possessions. A master who is full of grace and love. A master who does not demand that you perform for him so that you might be right with him, but has come to make you right with him by performing the greatest act humankind has ever seen on your behalf. Who has given his life to say, you don't relate to me through your goodness and your works. You come to me by grace through faith. I make you right. Come, be at rest in me. You see, you serve Jesus, you serve the Lord. It is not more, 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 more. It is come and in freedom of love and joy for me, give your life away for my sake. He is not a demanding, harsh master. He is gracious and gentle. He knows how to care for you in your moments of weakness and burdenness. He knows how to give you rest 
and he knows how to teach you to use everything for him in such a way that you are satisfied. See, what Jesus is doing is he's making it clear. You serve your possessions, the things you value. You serve them, you'll spend a lifetime under a cruel, harsh master. But you serve me, and you will come and receive joy and enter into my kingdom and have rest. Which is the better master, church? He is. So now, friends, let me say, here's here's the good news. It is possible to be rich in God's kingdom. It is possible to be rich. All we need to do is to follow his commands. Let me say, too, to those of you who, you know, you might not be in relationship with Christ. You haven't been reconciled to God through Christ because you don't believe. And we're, I mean, as always, we just, every week, there's some of you for whom that's the case. And we're so glad for that. You're in the right place. But can I say to you, here's the challenge. Do not walk out of here thinking that your primary thing that you need to do is to start being generous with your money or start using your material things to care for other people. That, that's fine, but that's not the first thing for you. Because until you've been reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ, that's all just a way of trying to work your way up to God. And it never works. You can try that, but it's just gonna crush you. So I wanna say to you, friends, that you, the application for you today is to consider that there is a new way to relate to God. And it's through faith in Jesus. And then, for those of us for whom that's the case, now this command is not a burden. This command is, he's already won me. He's already saved me. He did the work. Now my response is to lay up treasure in heaven and to to change the way I think about my material stuff. That's my response to him because of his grace and his love. So I just wanna make sure I'm clear about that with you because I would never want you who don't believe in Jesus to walk out of here thinking, I just gotta go do more. I gotta give more. I gotta, I gotta change the, the actions that I'm doing. That where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That idea only works when you've already come to Jesus. First you come by faith. Then your heart follows your treasure in a way that is redeeming and is the hand of God is on it, okay? So church family, though, for those of us who believe, let us, let us let the Lord give an honest assessment, yes? This week, as we wrestle with this in our life groups and think about this, I trust that what you'll do is just hold your life before the Lord with an open hand and say, Lord, you show me. You show me. Am I laying up treasure on earth or am I laying up treasure in heaven? And let him reveal it to you. Let him show you. And then just say, yes, I'll walk where you show me to walk. Let's pray together and then we'll worship the Lord in song to close our time. So Lord, we love you. We are thankful for your word to us. Thank you for making it simple. Thank you for showing it to us. We just admit, Lord, that, that this is, it's hard for us sometimes uh, we know, to give an accurate assessment of ourselves. And so we pray that you would come and do that, Holy Spirit, in us and that we wouldn't resist you in any way. In any way. We'd be yielded to you. So Lord, thank you for your word. We've heard it now, we've received it, and we wanna offer you praise in response to it. We pray in the name of Jesus, for his sake, amen.